Welcome everyone to another episode of Roundtown Podcast. We got we have an exceptional guest today, Karen Kustafik, who is our not only is she calls herself a park ranger, but she is not a park ranger. Uh, longtime city employee, got more passion for the river and and our outdoors than anybody we know. Um, but she is our assistant city parks um, superintendent. And Karen, thanks for being here. We're excited to have you here. And, you know, I think we want to start off is, is talk a little bit about how you ended up in this role. I know it's very passionate for you, but also kind of just let people know who you are. All right. Well, I came to the city in 2000 as a kayak instructor. We were starting a program called Whitewater Kids Club that grew as a follow-up sponsored by Nations Bank out of the 96 Olympics. And we got a bunch of friends certified as Whitewater Kayak Instructors and River Runner Outdoor Center um, helped us out with boats. And we used kids from city swim programs and, and got them comfortable getting in the water. To me, whitewater kayaking when I started doing this with my son a long time ago, um, I was absolutely terrible at it. It was just awful, but I was having the best time. Um, I couldn't learn to roll my boat upright for months, and I would just swim out of my boat and emerge bruised and banged up, right? But I was having a wonderful time. I fell in love with our rivers here, with the Saluda, and then generally the state's rivers. The, you know, we're so fortunate to have so much close to us. Um, but I got real opinionated about how we manage our water resources, as you probably well know. Um, and She's I, not quiet, folks, about that, just, just, just in case you don't know, Karen. Our water resources, our rivers, we brand ourselves on them, and they're worth protecting. So I found myself in council chambers with a then new assistant city manager, new director of parks, Allison Baker, and, and I was gathering about 20 or 30 of my friends to explain that this low island crossing that was proposed by the River Alliance might have some problems. Um, it would be hard to maintain and, and would present more or less a low head dam, which is a nationally a safety hazard. And uh, at the end of that, I gave Mr. Baker my cards that I'm interested in pairing recreation and environmental advocacy. And that's how I got here. And you heard that right. Um, Karen's been there 23 years. Yeah. Uh, enjoying protecting and advising us on the river. I'm real interested. What happened to that whitewater program? It tuckered out when we lost Nation Bank support. And um, I'd love to see it resurrected one day. I think maybe not. We were perhaps putting the cart before the horse in that jumping right into whitewater, especially as a kid, is difficult. So I do summer camps right now. I've got practically full six weeks of summer camps where we put kids on the water and we sample everything. We start on the canal. We go to the Congaree. We do Cedar Creek in the National Park, the Broad River from Harbison down. We go out to Lake Murray, and then we finish up on the Saluda. You know, if you live here, you should drive over these bridges and go, yep, I've been there, been there. I know that river. I know this creek. And uh, it's really part of a sense of the place. It's important. Well, and I think, you know, part of, part of everybody wants us to, to really embrace the river more, you know, a lot of people say to develop the riverfront. What they really mean is, is create, 
utilizing it better, creating more access. And, you know, the broad's very limited on public access, which is one of the things we got to tackle in the, in the future, because it is a beautiful stretch, um, especially long-term for rowing training and things like that, that we've talked about for years, but I'm more interested is down the road and it probably conversation we need to have of how we create our own kind of year round community or almost year round community whitewater program ourselves. You know, it sounds like we had the basis of it. So how do we resurrect that? But where we really have it like a center where it's, it's a part of our parks and it's a permanent program. Cause I think people, when they get more comfortable and figure out how to use it, but how to navigate, not many people have done the stretch on the Saluda from the dam, which is a beautiful stretch and on down. But I think if we could teach people and then, you know, create some more access points where people can get in there. Cause you know, part of it is you got to, you got to do a little moving. <laughs> oh yeah. It's in, and, and it is the white water is the culminating. So you, you, you start in a, in a easy, a sit on top an introductory, a wreck boat, a float, a tube, people fall in love with the river that way. And then they go to the excitement, the challenge of white water. And it is a building block thing. If we get, um, we do have an, an easier float point upstream of, and you were talking about opportunities as the Carolina Crossroads projects culminates. You know, I think there'll be an easy float from there down to Mill Race. Mill Race is the rapid. We've got our main park entry at, at a rapid, which most people don't need to run. And uh, so that would be a, a takeout for some people. And it is a put out today, a put in today. Um, we want people to put in under the boardwalk and then float down to downtown Gervais Street. And that's what Michael Mayo and Palmetto Outdoor and, uh, you know, many of the, the outfitters are doing right now that's so popular. Thousands of people every weekend float that river in the summer when it's hot. There's nowhere better to go than the cold Saluda on a hot summer day. It, there is no doubt. And it's funny how many people haven't done that. You know, one of the things I find more and more people, well, I've never done that. I'm like, why haven't you? It's yeah. the best three hours you can spend. It's an easy, fun float. You meet all types of people cruising down, and you get to see the city and and what the city has to offer from a totally different perspective. Right. Um, and so that we're, we're planting that seed, at least with our summer camps and with kids, and, and with so many people coming to the Saluda, we, we let them know these opportunities are here. We've got plenty of local outfitters who are really good at, at doing that, but it would be terrific to grow that again, through city programming. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like a, a, a training course, you know, or, or maybe we just need to build a, a great place for people to launch, you know, and create some multiple points. Cause I hear some folks are like, well, you know, I'd really love to launch from the Gervais street down and have a place further down, you know, right. and, and connect there because I want to see the other parts of the river. So we do have a takeout at Granby park downstream on Catawba. Um, and that's, a good alternative right now with the Coltar project is going yeah, on at the Gervais it. Street. And that Gervais Street access is terrific, but parking was very, very limited. It was always jam up in the in the summer. There's what, maybe 20 spaces yeah. there. That's not enough. So it makes you think about what shuttle looks like too. Um, we, even though we've added parking at the Saluda, we exceed that. So on a on a summer weekend, we are jammed, parked on both sides of the road. There needs to be some thought about providing a shuttle from a down, downstream location, a takeout location, you know, letting people park their vehicles there for the end of the journey, and we get them up top. I think, you know, that's a great suggestion. Things. Tell us a little bit about 
the river, your experiences, things that maybe folks don't know about about our river and some great viewpoints or great places to go on the river because most people are just used to the launch point to the Gervais Street but there's so much more. Wow there is and and I'd like to sidetrack for a minute and talk about green infrastructure right because the value of these areas um, from an ecological standpoint is substantial and and yes it's wonderful for us to go out and float and appreciate it's good for our mental health and physical health, but it is also good for this entire system for water quality. Today, it is absolutely pouring rain. And if you went down to any number of our parks, you would watch how well these buffers, the vegetated areas, the forests filter water. You can see it on a small scale at Page Ellington Park, Mm -hmm. where the Hughes Development Corporation has done such a phenomenal job of the daylighting and stream restoration project there so the water is slowed down and held and filtered and then you know you go down to the river and you'll watch one of the neatest parts that i like at the um down at boyd island sanctuary where the broad comes to meet the saluda there's that mixing spot and it's never in the same place twice much like my favorite heraclides quote you can never stand in the same river twice Right. You will always have a slightly different place where that zone is, the muddy water versus the clear water. Um, but you get to see so much. And th- this green infrastructure from both a, a water quality and a cooling perspective, right? The mm-hmm. USC heat island study last yeah. summer, they rode all around town and then they came down and checked out the greenway. And our temperatures were substantially cooler this is a really, really important service right there. And then all the wildlife. If you walk down to the Saluda in the morning, you're going to run into a herd of 13, 15 deer. And you're going to see otters pulling at something. And there's a bald eagle's nest nearby. And the osprey are nesting right beside Interstate 26 like a billboard. It's crazy. They've got little, you know, and you watch these osprey dive down into the water, right? And pow. If they're lucky, they get the fish and they come out. And they've got it broadways in their talons. And they, before they fly off, they adjust it so it's aerodynamic and they, they fly off. You know, it's, it's, we get to see this all the time when we're out there. It's so fun to see. One of the absolute funniest things, we were doing a spider lily survey um, a couple years back. Bill Stangler was out there, Andy Grizel and I, and um, we were taking a lunch break. We were on the rocks just above Interstate 26. We're sitting there with sandwiches and apples and and looking around. There's this cacophony all of a sudden above us. There's a bunch of crows flying around in a circle, and there's an osprey with a fish, and above the osprey is a bald eagle. Ospreys rob each other of fish all the time. But suddenly, here's this great bald eagle coming at osprey, and it swoops down and, you know, hits the osprey, and the osprey holds on, tries to fly away, and the osprey's a little smaller. It's got a tighter turning radius, right? So... The eagle doesn't quite get it, comes over and pow, hits it again. Osprey gives up, drops the fish. The eagle swoops down, grabs the fish midair, and heads off down the trail south along the levee trail at Riverfront. And all the crows, like the audience, they light out after the eagle, still talking smack. All that that gladiator, air gladiator. We're standing, you know, looking with half-eaten peanut butter sandwiches. (laughs) Did we really just see that? We get down to the takeout, and one of my rangers who's helping us pull the boats out of the water says, you won't believe what I saw this eagle coming down the trail with crows chasing it. I'm like, 
That's only half of it, buddy. Yeah, let me fill you on the rest. <laughs> that was of it. so cool. Well, you you, you kind of tiptoed into it. Tell us a little bit about all the work you've done with the spider lilies. Wow, um, I know where they all live. <laughs> So because the city of Columbia owns a hydroelectric plant, we have certain articles in the license requirements from the federal government. There are three that, that are key to Riverfront Park, and one of them is the Rocky Shoals spider lilies. The other is, is maintaining minimum flow in the bypass reach, and the third is that fish passage that's up there that's pretty cool. But the spider lilies, we have to protect, mitigate, and enhance that population. And that means essentially we go out every year and make sure they're still there. And if we notice that something has really adversely affected them, we address it. Um, and over the years, one of the biggest things we found that we could do is let people know that they're out there and let as recreational use of the river increases to let recreational users know leave these alone. These are iconic. There's only, you know, 50 places in the world where this particular um, cultivar of lily grows. This is right, not cultivar, but this particular. Um, so there's plenty of Hymenocallus. This mm -hmm. is Hymenocallus coronaria. And there's only 50 places where they grows from Alabama to, to South Carolina. If you try to take these home, because they bloom around Mother's Day, try to take them to your mama, they're going to be wilted dead before you get there. Um, and that's that's been a campaign that we've put out with some video and and uh, posters, and we work with the outfitters and the guides, so they can do this as a bonus here. You know, lilies are blooming. Do a, a bonus trip with us to see these iconic flowers. It helps a lot. Chest deep in water, sometimes with a GPS unit, <laughs> going. This one's still here, and and they're neat flowers. They look like this. They're members of the amaryllis family. Um, and they're big, white, cup-shaped blooms. And the neat thing about these plants is the plants grow with their feet in the water. When we first started doing those surveys, we would measure, get a tape measure, and measure the depth of flowers in the water and found that sometimes, you know, they were, they were standing. The, the foliage would be 54 inches tall. The plants would be three feet deep in the water. We'd count how many blooms. But they're just really neat to see. Uh, so when you say that, when you say the, the three feet in the water, you're just measuring the water. How deep rooted are they then from there? That's a really neat thing. Um, not very. Not very. No, no. If you grow. Um, so is it like a bulb at the bottom? Yeah, it's a lot like crinum lilies. If you grow crinum lilies, they're such a. For our listeners who have gardens. <laughs> <laughs> who have green thumbs that I don't. Yeah, they're not real deep. They're, they're maybe four or five inches, that root mass. You That's know, interesting. Of, but those roots are tenacious. It's they have to a, be. It's called an adventitious root. And so what's really neat, if they grow from seedlings, like they, these clumps will expand as, as lily clumps do. This is a member of the amaryllis family. But also they'll do seeding. And the seeds are like walnuts. And they sink. They don't float. Which means that if they fall into a deep pool, they're gone. Um, but if they get into the right crevice and then they send out that little adventitious root and it it grabs hold of the rock and the cobble and gets established. And if they're if it's lucky, if it doesn't get a flash flood, then it establishes establishes a new plant. So when you y'all go out and you're surveying, sure. making sure, do you do some re reharvesting out there? Do you do, do, are you planning on a thing to continue to 
to keep them growing and, and taking yeah. advantage of, of modern science? To- we have found what works and what doesn't work. There was no manual on how to restore a population of spider lilies. And so the advice of our the contract um, botanist who, who began this project with us, um, Cindy Albach, we did harvest seeds, especially in areas where they were likely to not survive to fall into a deep pool. And we are partnering with Riverbanks Botanical Garden and Andy Cabe over there. And the Botanical Garden has done a bang up job with us over the years. But that first year, um, we planted 50 and didn't didn't work real well. So the second year, we got, oh gosh, hundreds of seeds. I think we planted a thousand. And so she had said, we plant trees in December. You know, the, the winter is a good time to plant here. So there we were in December put on our cold weather gear. I've got a mesh bag with 200 spider lily babies. And we went out and tucked them into all the good crevices with all the hope in the world. The spring came, nada, not a thing. And in talking with um, naturalist Rudy Mankey about it a couple of years later, he said, well, you got muskrats? And I said, yeah, we got Plenty of muskrats. And what we had done was given them a Christmas present. We gave them hothouse produce for Christmas that year. Because if you think about the system, everything else is dead. And here's this fresh, tasty green stuff. So they all got consumed. The other thing is it's hard to put a GPS point on an individual seed like that. But it is easier to put a GPS point on a cluster. And so we learned from that mistake in started taking the seeds that we harvested and growing them out. Andy Cabe is growing them out in the riverbanks greenhouse in a pot of cobble. And as they mature, then that cobble gets a whole intertwined root mass. Then we located them. And we put a number of those in our study area um, near the diversion dam. And they were doing quite well for a few years until 2015. Wiped out a lot. Yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about that, Karen. I think that's a great segue into a conversation that, you know, a lot of people saw the diversion canal go, but what they, I don't think people understood is the damage that we had from top to bottom in 2015. You know, we saw a lot. People people remember the flooding on Garner's Ferry and all the houses in Lake Catherine, but a lot of people didn't realize how much natural buffers and damage and and the what the animals and everything else had to deal with in the 2015 flood yeah because we were so worried about our infrastructure but there's there's a lot of nature's infrastructure was disrupted can you talk a little bit about what y'all saw when you went out there what y'all found and kind of how that's recovered yeah nature is incredibly powerful um <laughs> The huge water that flew down the Saluda um, and the Broad, it, it rearranged some boulders. The um, our, our first rapid, if you launch below the diversion dam at the Broad River, used to be a very tricky technical little spot to put floaters in. You had to, you had to, um, the hardest part of the trip was <laughs> within in. the first 50 yards. It's like, hold on, we've got to, um, that washed out. It's now a much easier launch but what was really impressive, the, if the power of the river to move entire, you know, granite boulders that had been there for eons, if it's that big, it also took entire islands. It peeled root masses from trees up 
and away from the, the rock bed. And so you would you would find this kind of leaned over tree in multiple places down that bypass reach. There were just trees that were knocked over, but still connected to their root mass. Um, and that did affect some habitat around the lilies. So, you know, when we got to the 2016 survey, I thought, oh, we'll have severe losses. And there were lilies out there. Um, nature is, is incredibly resilient, as long as you're not hitting it from too many fronts at once. Um, but the, the breach in the canal um, and the water that flew, that managed to come under the headgates and scoured out, you know, the canal has been surveyed extensively and we're finally getting getting to that point where we're ready to rebuild it. It'll be wonderful to have. But the scouring and the rearranging, the current, um, just deposited new sandbars and hollow, hollowed out new channels all over the place. It's And it laid bare the foundation of that 1894 hydroelectric plant, which is really neat to see, you know, um, unfortunate, but but... I used to give tours down there and say, under our feet here, under this concrete bulkhead, is is the history-making um, 1894 power plant, two turbines. And there it was for everybody to see. Well, you know, uh, I'm ready. I think we finally got somewhere with FERC and FEMA that we can start. I'm ready to get it. I want to get our hydro plant restored because it's only one of two. It's one of the second oldest out here, you know, there's only one, two in the South Carolina that are that are almost similar. That's in Union and here, so we're almost similar canal, and the history behind it. You know, I really want to get it, but the flood when when we saw the damage afterwards, and you you know, you talked about you know the spider lilies relocation of animals, but the the flow of of water. Have you seen repercussions? Uh, from that flood today that have caused more, more concern about restoration that we need to put some more, I guess, priority on restoration in parts of the river, or you think it's kind of naturally just healing itself? I think we're really fortunate in that many places in the city, we didn't build to the banks of the river. So we have in, in many of these places, we have parks in our floodplains. And we need to make sure that we don't encroach too closely on those areas because with climate being volatile, with storms being more intense, it's likely that we'll see high water again. And, you know, when the water goes down, we have to shovel off trails, wash off some mud, chainsaw some fallen trees. But otherwise, you know, it's not as catastrophic as houses lost and lives lost. Yeah, It's easy to clear out of a park and go back and fix it later. It's a lot harder to, to fix a house. Well, you know, and, and I think that's one of the things you, I'm glad you brought it up because a lot of people keep saying, you know, build, build at the river. You really can't, you know, most of the property you have, we can build back off, but not up. And I think people expect to have this promenade right on the river and we can't, it's gotta be natural because we're on the lower side, you know, West Columbia has got a bluff. They have a little more leeway than we do. Um, but I think, you know, we're, I think we're going to see some strategic growth with the trails. I think that will bring a different type of tourism. And I'm really excited about that. That is a phenomenal thing. Um, I used to tell anybody who would listen, um, we have this opportunity if we could just, and I draw lines on papers and maps and I've, I've done it to our, our assistant city manager, Henry Simons, when he hit the ground, I was like, look, 
if we did this and we did that, we can that over here and we can go. And it, it is so profoundly gratifying to see that we're, we're close to doing a lot of those things. You know, I used to think, will this happen in my career? Will this happen in my lifetime? And, and now it's, it's tangible. You know, we kind of laugh. You brought up earlier about one of the plans from 1905. And, and it's interesting. If you go back and look at that modernization of Columbia, it talks about Fidney, Finley Park talks about relocation of the rail downtown. It talks about, you know, the riverfront, the connectivity. I mean, it's just, it, it's amazing. And, and we laugh about it, you know, here 128 years later, we're making the train, but, you know, I'm excited. Uh, we haven't had a formal announcement yet, but we have worked with Dominion to gain access for the next hundred years to close to 400 acres on the river that give us the ability to get all the way up to the flyover, up to Saluda Shoals. And that gets us connected to the Saluda, to the dam. And, and, you know, I hope within the next five years that we'll be able to hop on a bike and you'll be able to hike, walk, mountain bike, whatever you want to do from downtown all the way to the, the dam and back. And I think that's just going to be really exciting because those all those points that are done in between from Boyd Island to – and I think it'll open up some other opportunities for us. So I'm excited about that. And I think, you know, the folks like yourself who have been thinking and dreaming about it for so long – now we have the ability to chase it and do it. Yeah, it's it's really a wonderful thought. And and th at the same point, we're also linking up at the North End of Riverfront with um, the Palmetto Trail. And they've got recent funding from the Susan and Darnell Boyd Foundation um, to connect that last passage from Fort Jackson. And so you could go from here to the coast. So this connectivity is really, really important, again, both from the green infrastructure and for our own health and well-being. You know, as many as or as few as 20 minutes outside, even just sitting, even if you're not ready to go sweat or work out, if you will sit for 25 minutes, your cortisol levels will go down. You will feel better. Just come out. We've got plenty of really beautiful benches and tucked in little spots. Come see us. It will be good for you. Well, see, I think that's a good segue, too, because I think one of the questions that, that we, we've talked about, too, is 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 where, in, in your thought, uh, with the time out there, what needs to be updated in areas of, of, of the river? Where are there opportunities for us to create some more places like that? I mentioned earlier about, you know, be how cool it would be to have a hammock park, and somebody else has suggested a sculpture park. Somebody else has suggested hey, you know, it'd be great if we had some places that could we could hook up where even a food truck could come up on the weekends and have a, a, a place where we could go hike, but then we could have lunch there and have a, a different experience, a, a way to create. And then, you know, I think the last point I would say is what about, what about another camping site? Ah, we get questions about camping on a regular basis. Um, there's a couple of things I'd like to do. One, we need to, to um, we're gearing up to do a little bit more interpretive programming. We got away from that in the pandemic. And then uh, we need to staff up and train up before. So we're doing that well. And those efforts need to serve all of the people of Columbia. So we want to be sure that people of color are comfortable in the outdoors. That's a real focus for us. And we've got a growing Latinx, um, Hispanic 
population using the river too. So we've, we need to serve everybody. And I would love to do some family camping programs, maybe a combination float camp. We could do some primitive camping on some of the islands in the confluence. They're spectacular. And that gives you, while you're close enough to resources in, in town, you're not, you're not remote wilderness. You get a, a taste of what wilderness would be like by doing that. So that would have to be carefully permitted. We don't want to overrun those islands either. Um, but then there are spots I think that we could use along the north end of Riverfront. And as far as amenities, we already have hammock stands. Hammock is my Yankee way of saying. <laughs> We've got hammock stands at um, Riverfront and at the Saluda. We've got some tucked in down at Shannon Rapids. So if you, you know, there are lots of neat little tucked in spots that if you just ask a ranger, where should I go with this? We've got plenty of ideas where you can, you know, put put your picnic in a backpack and go and do those things. But yeah, for upstream on the Saluda would be phenomenal for a lot of that, for camping, for. What would you like to see up there based on, on all your experience uh, on the river and see, hearing what people are asking for and seeing what, what other communities have done? What would, what would be one or two items that you think would be great for us to focus on? I think a really good put in and a means of getting there. So people can park downstream. They could park it, let's say the candy lane, if they're taking out a mill race and we would, get a, a means of shuttling them up top, taking them and their gear up to float down. That would make it easy and it would have a smaller footprint on that area. So we wouldn't have to, you know, put in as much parking and, and all the rest of that um, for cars. Um, an environmental education center somewhere, an interpretive center where we could both a combination, you know, you could do, host events outside of that. Um, events and meetings, but also be able to bring in a classroom. We don't have a, a good dry space. If we're doing a school group, we cross our fingers and hope it doesn't rain <laughs> and just you know do our best for the forecast. So an outdoor pavilion area would be really, really multi-purpose. You know, maybe we do some picnics. We've got picnic tables or that kind of a thing. Where would you see that? Further upstream, downstream? We could probably do that around. We've got some picnic tables out around Mill Race. If we put up shade sails or we've got transmission lines, it would take some careful design. But Todd Martin, our parks planner, is a genius uh, at a lot of these things. Are, are, right? I think Todd is... The one of the hidden gems at the city. And I'm glad that everybody is using him and asking him to be involved in, uh, you know, Finley Park for yeah. all those folks. When it's done, y'all are going to, it's going to blow your mind. Todd's the one who, who did it. Todd's got great vision he and he's got good ideas and he's got that impish smile when you say, hey, I'm thinking about, I'd like to do this here. And he's like, wow. <laughs> and he goes, so over at the Saluda Riverwalk, we've put in steps down from the parking lot because everybody wanted to shortcut there. And we've got this gorgeous garden now. We, we've been the recipient of two gardens. One was an $8,000 grant to the Native Plant Society from Dominion Energy for a demo, this is what you should plant under transmission lines because there's been some friction about Dominion cutting things. And so, does that sound familiar? No, not at all. <laughs> right. And so this, this is an attempt to do some outreach as to what you really should plant in those areas. And then right next to that, we have been given a phenomenal gift from the Palmetto Garden Club in memory of a member who passed, Carolyn Finley Myers. 
And this garden is almost complete now. We've put steps in the middle of that and planted on either side. And it is just, it has lit that area up. If you wow. haven't haven't been by, you need to come I see it. I need to go check it out. It's, it's, we're, we're looking forward to celebrating its completion pretty soon. I think we need to... We need to note that um, it's a substantial gift and, and beautifully given. Wow. Wow. Well, Karen, tell us, um, we're getting close to the end of the show, and I was curious if there was something else that you had uh, that you wanted to share with us. Uh, I know you, you've got such this wealth of knowledge and you could sit here for hours and hours talking about it, but what else would be good things that you want to share with, with our, our, our citizens and our listeners? If they haven't come out to our Greenway parks, and we've got so many of them, there's there's one near you, and we're doing everything we can to connect you to them by by neighborhood trails down the road too. Um, we've got one of our newest, Page Ellington Park in the Bull Street District. That's got this gorgeous um, stream restoration project. We have staff on the ground every day of the year. So we're there in your parks. We are there on Christmas. We get to see the new bikes come rolling out. We're there when you want to walk off that Thanksgiving turkey. We are are there because it's it's really phenomenal customer service is part of our parks and recreation value. We we need to be here for to support you. If you're frightened you see a snake across the trail, we'll we'll come and move it for you. You you don't need to to panic, but we're also there to ask questions. You know, where should I do this? Or can I, how far is this trail? Or can I bring my dog here? Um, We've just got great spaces. One of the ones that we don't talk about a lot and needs more attention is Southeast Park off off Hazelwood. Well, everybody knows it now because there's pickleball there. True. Now it's like the the spot you you know that right yeah but that, all the other amenities that brought really, that brought a lot more people out there before amazing, it, it was it was disc golf that made it made it good and but for the neighbors that lived there they knew it was there right this is a little not when you look at aerial imagery um, there's this green space in the middle of Garner's Ferry sprawl and suburban tract housing and this is what's left for the deer and the foxes and that wildlife is you can be playing pickleball and, and see a fox well, there's a great place to go learn how to get in a kayak and cr- Absolutely. Run around right there in the pond that's there in a very safe environment great place to walk around obviously tennis and pickleball are there now but yeah the live oaks. underutilized park mm-hmm. live oaks on the other side of the park are just beautiful to sit on a bench under one of those grand trees and think about how insignificant we are in the in the big scape of things and that tree was there before us and it'll be there after us it is it's a little head and gym people think it's way way out and it's really not no if you're out that way you need to check it out um you know i think because we've in the granby park so granby was the original river alliance you know 1998 opening and it needs to connect i think once that connects it will be really good but it's going to be torn up a little bit this summer and um, that is to improve that's for a stormwater remediation project so granby has an intact section of the 1824 mills blanding canal and for a few brief years that was the center of commerce for the whole state that little canal was before railroads came and store it stole its thunder. That system was absolutely the center of commerce. So all the 
the raw goods, the agricultural goods from around upstate Newberry, Fairfield, Richland, Lexington would come into the city through that canal and make it make their way down to Charleston and barges. Which just boggles my mind when you think about it yeah. today. How? It is to, to actually stop and visualize that, and you're standing next to this insignificant little berm. It, it's hard to think. And then, you know, goods would, finished goods, cloth and China and things like that would come right back up from Charleston in weeks or months or depending on what the river was doing, you know, and get distributed from, from here through our Vista region, right, and around to the state. But roads were awful then. They, you know, they were um, called corduroy roads because there, there's folks some people would who lay, would say that our roads today are the same. Oh, I shouldn't have gone there. <laughs> <laughs> but people would lay down logs across the road, pine trees, and try to imagine going anywhere with a wagon. The river would look like a great alternative, and um, that that area has been so forgotten. But as the Rocky Branch is going to have a connector trail, the the Penny project and our city's sewer improvements along the Rocky Branch are going to wind up connecting to the downstream end of that canal. And we'll get this um, stormwater fix to preserve what's left of the canal there. And I'd like to put a replica barge in there to tell the story about what, what used to happen there. That'd be I think that's, that's a really little out of the way place that's going to get a little bit better once the, the canal fix is in and once we connect. Well, you know, it's great is a lot of the improvements that we're doing across the city are having effects to create, you know, um, thankful for the Boyds. We're going to get a bridge across Boyd Plaza. I mean, not Boyd Plaza, but Coble Plaza connecting there. But the uh, alternative water intake that we're get putting in to preserve is going to create another platform for another point of connectivity. So all these things that we're doing, uh, we're getting some dual uses out of, which is exciting. And, um, you know, I think we're finally getting close that we see the end of the line of other connectivity happening. So, uh, folks, if you haven't been to the river, go. If you have any questions, ask a ranger. But as you are hearing today, as Karen shared with us, there's so many beautiful points. There's so many opportunities and they're only getting better and they're going to be more explosive. And so, you know, you don't have to load up your bike. You don't have to load up your kayak. You don't have to take your tube or anything and go somewhere else. Just, hey, come here and enjoy what we have that we don't utilize as much. You know, they don't call us the three river city for nothing. Thanks for being here today. Thanks, Karen. Thanks Good for sharing with, with us. And everybody, we see you next time. We'll see you on the river.